I'm really excited to talk to you for, this is actually going on a podcast, so Cinephiles uh, Podcast, Cinecast, um, about your extraordinary new film, Passages. Um, I know, I don't know if I'm speaking for everyone, but I'm speaking for myself when I say that really excited about uh, this film and um, just the fact that you've made a new film after several years. So, well, since Frankie, I think, right? Yes. Yes, which I actually saw in Lisbon before going to Centra like two days later. Oh, wow. That must have been interesting. My husband told me to tell you that. He was like, you got to tell me how we saw this when we were in in Portugal. And I was like, that's good timing. Yeah, right. Um, But Passages is super exciting. So really um, happy to talk to you about it. Firstly, what I wanted to ask is, and I, I see you get this question a lot, but I'm still curious to ask it myself. Your films, your films often have a very European feel, um, despite you know being made by an American director um, and primarily in English. How do you approach creating films that feel distinct from mainstream and even sometimes you know independent American cinema while still kind of exploring universal themes? Uh- well, I, you know, I, I, I didn't, I never went to film school. I never took, um, I took two film classes, both from um, experimental filmmakers, Sue Friedrich and Abigail Child. And I, I never sort of was taught um, how to make a film except by the films I loved and those that I watched. So I feel like my entire education is, is like the set of films that are in my head and that I've seen over the last 50 years. And, and I guess like that language, the language I've been learning has been um, highly influenced by European, Asian, Indian, non-American filmmakers. Like those are the ones that I've gravitated to, even though there's much American cinema that I absolutely am passionate about. Um, less so contemporary cinema, because I think it's been really hard for the most interesting and the most unique filmmakers to maintain and sustain long careers. Like we just don't have very many people who've done that. So I guess it's like like European cinema is my education would be the would be an answer. And and I think in a really natural way, it's it's been the most influential on me. Right. And how does that apply specifically to passages? Are there any direct quotations or any direct inspirations from your overall appreciation for your well, the, the, the writing of the film was was really influenced by Visconti a film called The Innocent also Lulu a film by Maurice Piala with Isabelle Huppert and Gerard Depardieu um, I, I watched films for inspiration like Chantal Ackerman's Je Tu Il Elle and um, a, a German film uh, called Taxi Zoom Clo, which is a wonderful queer film made in 1981. Like, um, uh, and 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 Pia in general, who's a French filmmaker, contemporary, you know, who, who died maybe 20 years ago, is someone I'm always watching his films. Um, so I guess in every way, the film was influenced by European cinema. Dodsworth by William Wyler was also an important film for me, but less stylistically and more narratively. Amazing. Yeah, it seems like Tomas is kind of like a quintessential like PLA character, potentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but if you look at Lulu, he's actually the Huppert character and not the Depardieu character. He's the one who's trying to figure out if he wants the bourgeois life or the, the less bourgeois. Like he he's trying to figure out what 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 will be the formation of his life. But I would agree Pila and 
and then after the film, I've been thinking a lot about Cassavetes, who I tried to avoid for 30 years. And now I'm like, oh, I'm, really coming, back. I'm coming back. I'm coming right. back. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so Tomas is a filmmaker. Um, you have, you know, some of your films have been centered on very complicated creative types. Um, is that intended to be self-reflexive or even autobiographical because you yourself are a filmmaker? Although your family is like, the nice you are as like the nicest people so it's hard to imagine you as being like a tomas but i wonder if there's any kind of a you know sure sure i mean I, I would say that all my you know i seem to have a, a running interest in making films about men behaving badly like you know i'm a nice jewish guy but guilt is not the first thing that comes to to mind when i consider what emotions you know there's this idea of the guilty Jew. And, and I don't really feel like I qualify except somehow in my films, which are not guilt laden, but they are examinations of privilege and consequence. Hmm. And I think that way they're very personal to me. Tomas is really like a few people that I know, as well as, as, as sort of created by the very sweet and totally um, un Tomas like Franz Rogowski. <laughs> I mean, he's not un Tomas like, but he's he's not um, he's not he doesn't dominate in the way, and he and he's also much less insecure than Tomas is in some ways. So Franz created him, but he isn't him. And I I've seen you get asked this question, but again, this is one I just feel like I have to ask myself: Is your father a influence at all, or particularly someone to be found in the character? I I, I would. Uh, interestingly, I didn't think of my father until the film. film I mean, I, I about the in terms of the creation of the character until after the film was finished, totally finished, and then I could see quite a lot of my father in Tomas. Right, he seems like a younger kind of rip torn character from Forty Shades of Blue, almost. Hmm. I, I think what you're picking up on is that my that my father was a large influence on me. And then his oh. presence. <laughs> and I was in therapy today and we didn't talk about my father, but maybe we, we maybe next time, because I think in a way you you it's very hard to 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 get the distance to see your parents in yourself and also you see your parents in your in your in your thoughts and in your your writing, if you consider filmmaking writing like um but I think one interesting thing about Rip Torn and one thing I learned from him is that is that tragedy is made up of comedy. And, and I think like Franz, he was playing a very dominating character in that movie, but there's space for humor. And that's actually like um, the sophistication of the performer. Mm -hmm. I've been thinking of it as a form of vaudeville, like, like it's, it's both like someone playing a guy having a tantrum, but also someone laughing at a guy having a tantrum. But but the gap is very, very small, like very small. So you can't even see it in the performance. Right. I am very sorry to hear about your dad, by the way. I know it's been, I think, over a year or so. Um, but after seeing that died in October. Yeah. And just yeah. Uh, just October. Yeah. Yeah. So very sorry. To Thank, hear you. About. Thank you. Thank um, you. So there are definitely themes of kind of like self-discovery and coping me mechanisms specifically during the post-production process, you know, the stress that comes with that process. Now, obviously, as you are a filmmaker, um, is that especially personal or is it, you know, intended to apply 
um, you know, to any particular type of filmmaker or one that you identify with? I'm just curious where kind of post-production stress factors in here. Mm. Um, well, one of the things is that that it's a film not about labor and not about jobs, but you have to believe that these people have jobs and have relationships to to work. Like that's part of who they are as characters. And so there was like a sense of, yes, exactly. Yeah. Or, or yeah, that's interesting you say Ozu, because um my producer Saeed bin Saeed mentioned like Romer never you never see people working, but they all have jobs and you believe them. Right. And I, <laughs> that's really like an interesting lesson to me. Um, I'm writing a film now, but a musician. Well, not once the strike is over, but we're gonna finish. But but it's like it's like, but how much time do I actually have to see them in that job? Is part of the question. I think um, so. So in a way, this post production was just kind of. I knew it so well that it could be a through line without having to to take up very much space. Does that make sense? Like it doesn't have to take up much real estate in the film, but it can do what it needs to do. And in truth, there's like the worst anxieties can happen in in, in post-production because suddenly you have what you have and nothing more and you have to figure out how to make something of it. Exactly. I'm curious what you were saying previously about Franz, you know, Tomas kind of needing to decide between a more bourgeois life and a more, um, you know, creatively fulfilling bohemian life, perhaps be the word. Who, who, which of the other two in the love triangle would be each because I'm not sure I know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a perfect, it doesn't work exactly. Uh, I was really sort of referencing like the, 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 that I think if I say it, it's a, it's a loose remake of Lulu, people think Franz is the Depardieu character in Pilar's Lulu, but he's actually the Uper character. He's like the one who's like trying to make a decision about their future and is, is having trouble making that decision. Um, but I think, I mean, you know, I've used those terms bourgeois and bohemian since I was like a teenager as some like internal conflict. And in truth, I'm bourgeois. That's all, that's, that's like the definition. I'm the definition of bourgeois. But I'm I'm interested in the pull of non-traditional decisions in life, and I think, for example, when to, when Tomas like presents that he's had slept with a gap to his husband Martin, there's no kind of um, it's not a conventionally done moment. Like there, there's nothing hidden, which is is a little bit considered bohemian, which doesn't mean it's very positive necessarily. Right. I mean, we never really talk about the character's sexuality in the film. It's That's never right. defined whether or not Tomas is bisexual, et cetera. Um, and it's funny that you kind of have that like juxtaposition of a not like a nonconformist act of, you know, declaring to your spouse that you've slept with someone else, especially of a different gender when you are in a same sex couple. But just the fact that they're they are a same sex couple would have at one point been the like the outre part of things. That's right. And I think even when I wrote it, I will tell you a lot of people who read the script when when this they were like, oh, well, how are you going to pull that off? Or, or they didn't even read the script. They just heard me describe it. A gay couple. He ends up having a relationship with a woman, one of them. And they're like, oh, that's not that's not that is how's that going to happen? And I was just like, it's just going to happen. Like, right. I don't know. And I think what's interesting is my friends I was talking to were my age, which means like late 50s and early 60s. And the people who play the roles are a generation younger. 
And it just disappeared as an issue in the film. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it feels like very much a film for 2023 where like more and more, which is amazing that people don't care about those things or ask those questions. They just assume when someone takes a step that it is part of their internal logic and it it all makes sense. Well, in a way, it goes back to this idea of what kind of film I'm missing and what kind of film I wanted to make, which is something I've been thinking about. And I, I really wanted to make a human film. And, and I think one of the things about like removing the labels is people become more essentially bodies in right. a way, souls. Right. Versus their the labeling that comes with it, the characters. Yes, I mean, not. I'm all labels were ne- are have been necessary. I don't want to. I I I think in some ways now people are resisting labels out of like that is like partially because they don't want to be um, identified. Like to say you're queer is in some ways like I am also a gay man. Like that's important to me. I'm a gay man. Right. And I assume is that important? Is your identity as a queer man important to the film as well? That's interesting. You know, I think about it in terms of Visconti's The Innocent, because I really connected. I had a, a, a feeling of desire when I was in the audience for both Giancarlo Giannini, who's the, the male lead, and Laura Antonelli, who's the female lead. And I found that kind of exciting, which is partially what I what I wanted to, like, tap into for passages. But I'm also aware that it was directed by by Visconti, a gay man. So I'm in a way, the desire of the film really seems aligned to my desire. And that that's something where you realize that the the people who make the film are visible, even if they're visible, they're visible in the images. Right. Well, if it's a personal film, if it's a, <laughs> a good film, that is the case. But, you know, as we were talking about previously, that's the difference between a lot of European cinema nowadays and American cinema. That's right. I mean, I think there's a lot of good American cinema, um, which has been made primarily by very young people making their first and second films. The question is like, so you you can if you seek out those films, they're there, and the people are doing super interesting, and and new voices are being um, uh, seen and heard in a, in a way that's like transformative. This is not all a, a, a time. You know, this is a this is a time of discovery. Certainly, I think the challenge is sustainability. Right. So, do you, do you think you're kind of fulfilling maybe a dream that Visconti had to make to huh. realize his vision with a you know people that would are like him or would have been like him? Huh. I have no idea. <laughs> I, I, you know, I've never even went, read like one paragraph of biography of Visconti. Like I, I know that it was, an, I know he was from an aristocratic family, yeah. but that's about it. I almost know nothing else. So, um, it's all you I need to know, really. <laughs> yeah, I just saw this um, show in in. in um, Rome, which was uh, an exhibit of the operatic work of of um, uh, um, Zeffirelli, and it was a lot talking about the relationship between Visconti and Zeffirelli, and that was interesting to me. These, yeah, I mean, uh, Zeffirelli was like a like a underling to Visconti. Visconti taught Zeffirelli learned a lot from Visconti. Oh wow, fascinating! So. Probably the thing I love most about this film are the compositions. 
Mm. They're amazing. Um, and I had taken some notes here. Um, I loved how there'd often be someone blocking someone from another person or action ha- happening off screen. Someone would be talking to someone off screen. Um, even the sex scene was shot entirely from behind with no shots of you know their faces um, to convey maybe how they might be feeling during that moment. Um, maybe a random connection, but there was almost like a Hopper-esque quality at times to kind of the blocking and the, the lines that were created by the compositions. And I'm wondering if you can just comment about that within the context of the overall film. Well, I worked with um, a cinematographer, Jose DeHai, who really understood in a, in a very particular way what I was looking for, what I've been looking for <laughs> for a long time, which has to do with the, the relationship between bodies and space. And okay. she also understood and was able to to create images that are to me they're like cubes they're not like rectangles and 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 I so how they're almost like dioramas like how people move through the space are what creates the 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 visuals as well as the meaning of the film my my husband, I believe, is hi. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, she also we talked a lot about how um, lighting is emotion, and that was the bar I set for for Jose that every scene should be considered um, without dialogue before di- before actors enter. There was the possibility for 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 feeling in the spaces. In terms of like obstruction, to me, that was not something I was looking for. It's just something that happens and I didn't resist it. Meaning I wasn't like shooting, I wasn't putting people in situ in spaces that would they would we wouldn't see them. I was just not cutting. So as people move naturally in front of the camera, sometimes they block and sometimes they don't. And there's a way in which the the audience has the privilege of being in the room, but doesn't have um exclusive power to see everything right so they're both invited in and excluded right not really privy to some of those like especially core um emotional moments and the intimacy for example during the sex scene which you're really kind of deprived of how they might be actually feeling during it when you can't necessarily see their faces and in a way by that deprivation you are actually brought closer to intimacy you're Mm -hmm. actually a real voyeur in that moment. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously there's been a lot of chatter about the NC-17 rating. And I will just say, I saw the news about the rating was, I don't know what I was preparing myself for. I'm not especially, you know, shocked liking art cinema and even, you know, you know, Arthur J. Breston Jr. and all the uh, filmmakers like those. So, but when I saw this, you know, I was like, really? We're going NC-17 over this? Um, I mean, there's European television that's more graphic than that. Yeah. Um, American television is more graphic than that. Yeah, I was, I mean, I'm honestly shocked. I was, I'm sure you are as well. And I'm just would love to get a comment on that because it is yeah. not good. Not good. It's a, it is a level of censorship. It is. Well, there, it, it, it's not a level of censorship. It yeah, it is censorship, right? <laughs> it is the censor being applied. <laughs> it's the definition of censorship. And, and right. I think I'm, I'm disappointed for my film, but it hasn't affect, affected um, 
my ability to make a very free film. So I feel like kind of one step removed because I got to make this film and, and Mubi is releasing this film um, as I intended. Um, what I am more concerned about is the warning that it sends to other filmmakers that if you create certain images, you will be punished. That's, and I, and I think that's very chilling. It, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And especially to what level that they're censoring. Because again, I sound, I found nothing egregiously shocking about it within the context of, like you said, even things you would see on television. So it, it, it it's, it's truly shocking in this instance. Yeah. But I think what's shocking is that the MPA still exists. Yeah. That's yeah. really what's shocking. Like, like people should just say like, why does it still exist? I don't understand. Kind of a money grab, right? They just want to, I think what you have to, to be able to play in multiplexes, you have to get. Well, but why? Yeah, no, right. They, cause they, they, you pay a fee. But, but yes, but I'm not sure it's making that much. I don't think it makes that much money. I think it's just the, it's, it's the, it's a long, it's, it's like, there's this thing called mission creep, which is like, we forgot why, why certain things happened and where they began. And this began with the Catholic church and the Hays Code. Right. So they, you know, we're just this. It's the long tail of that moment. Right. Or it's maybe coming back around because, you know, especially in the case of your film, trying to be especially like censorious. Yes. And, yeah. So can you discuss a little bit about the writing process? I'm curious how you and your co-writer, uh, Mauricio Zacharias, am I saying that right? Yeah. Um, like work together to craft the story and the character's journeys. I'm happy to say we're, we, have you know this is the fifth film we've made together and we've really established a process that works very well for both of us it involves um several months of work um to, in one room where we talk about movies and stories and we end up with an outline quite detailed of 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 a film we want to make then he <coughs> excuse me then he goes off and um, spends sometimes six to eight months writing the first draft. Oh, wow. it's, a, it's a long process. And then the preceding drafts are really mine. Eventually, as the filmmaker, it's important that I own the writing of the film because writing can be mean many different things as you approach production, including like, how does locations, how does location influence the story? How do actors change what you imagined because they're different people than you could have foreseen? You know, you're so so in, in a certain, it assert it goes from being our film to his film to my film. Hmm. Okay. But throughout that, there's a lot of, you know, he's always there um to to like aid assist and abet <laughs> <laughs> that sounds uh <laughs> makes it sound intense <laughs> um so lastly i don't take up too much of your time um you know given what we discussed about um the rating and just overall the challenges and changes in the film industry of which there are many even happening right now as we speak with the strikes how do you see the future of independent cinema and the challenges that filmmakers might face Movie makes me hopeful. I mean, really, there's, there's an idea. There's a young set of people working in this company that that 
believe also that are that like love the cinema I love and believe that it has a future. And um, I feel that, but I think it's gonna be a, a fight, you know, to, to maintain the economic support necessary to fuel individuality, like to, to still embrace the handmade film the the personal film the non-committee film the non-ip film is um is is a real challenge right well i was gonna have the last question be what's your favorite marvel movie but maybe that's not the right one were you really no really <laughs> <laughs> um no absolutely not but <laughs> It's been so wonderful talking to you. Um, like I said, I feel like I know you. I see so much of your sister in your face. And Cinecast is a production of Cinephile, Chicago's guide to independent and alternative cinema. Find us online at cinephile.info, where a new CineList is posted every Friday. We are also on Twitter at Cinephile, or you can email the podcast directly at cinecastshy at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. It really does make a difference in helping to support the podcast. Thanks so much for listening.